Again, if you'd like to come in and find a seat. All right, welcome again. Great to see all of you here this morning. Welcome to everyone who's joining us live stream. I don't know how many of you like a good story. I love a good story. I love to uh, hear, I, I used to love stories as a child, and I don't think I ever, I ever got over that. And, and if you want good stories... All you have to do really is, is read the Bible because the Bible is just full of amazing stories. The Old Testament in particular is, is just packed with, with good stories. And I'm going to focus on, on two particular stories coming from the Old Testament this morning. We're starting in, in the book of Exodus in the Old Testament, chapter 13. And, and this uh, first story starts from... The Old Testament, when God's people were slaves in Egypt, and God brought them out of Egypt in just this amazing supernatural way, uh, God poured out these 10 horrible plagues onto the land of Egypt as a, as a sign of his power and a sign of his, his judgment on the land of Egypt, and, and uh, for the purpose of having his people come uh, to come out of Egypt where, where they were slaves. And, and as they went out of Egypt, God led them along. And, and you know, we, we try to get an idea in our minds when this happened in history. I mean, this was a long time ago. And if you sort of look at a, at a timeline here, let me, uh, you want to click on my first, uh, third slide there? Uh, there we go. So I love timelines, you know, so you can get a sort of an idea of when, when this was happening. So all the way on the, on the right side there is uh, 2019, that's, that's today. And then we go back, you know, 2,018 years uh, to the time of Jesus. And, and then from the time of Jesus, you go back another 1,445 years to the time of Moses. And that's what we're talking about all the way back, um, you know, thousands of years to, to the time of Moses when, when God brought his people out of Egypt. And, and God provided for them in amazing ways as he brought them out of Egypt. And as they wandered in the wilderness and in the desert for, for 40 years, God provided for them. So, so God provided, first of all, water for them in the desert. And that, that's just an amazing thing in itself because there were probably a, a million people or so uh, going through this arid desert wasteland, plus all their animals, and all the, you know, all these people, all their animals, and, and there was no water there, no natural water there. And God provides, day after day, God supernaturally provides water for them in the, in the desert. Not only water, but God supernaturally provides for them food. And, and they only had to step out of their tent each morning, and what was there on the ground outside of their tent? They called it manna, which was, they'd never seen anything like it before. And that's actually what, it, what the word manna means. It's like, what is it? We don't know what it is. And, 
and I've, I've never seen manna, I've never eaten manna, but it was laying there on the ground, and, and they could pick it up. All they had to do was step out of their tent and pick it up, and, and it was good to eat. And they could cook with it, they could eat it raw, I guess raw manna. They could, they could do whatever they wanted with it, and it was good to eat. God provided food for them, God provided meat for them, uh, birds. And, and, and God provided so that as they went through the desert, their clothes didn't wear out, their sandals didn't wear out, not only that, but God guided them through the desert, and he told them when he wanted them to move and, and when he wanted them to stand still. And so how did he do that? Well, everyone in, in, the, in the whole camp of like a million people could see, physically see God's presence with them. And how did he do that? Exodus chapter 13 says that God's presence was with them by day in a pillar of cloud, like this, this column of cloud that was visible to everyone. And, and the Bible says that when this pillar of cloud, when this cloud moved, they knew they were to pack up camp and go. And when it stopped, that's where they were to camp. And so this pillar of cloud was the symbol or the, the uh, sign that God's presence was with them. And by night, it wasn't a pillar of cloud, it was a pillar of fire. And, and it provided, the Bible says it provided enough light so they could travel day or night. So it, was, it wasn't, wasn't just a little light, it was one massive, huge pillar of fire to, to, give, them, uh, to give them light. And, and Exodus chapter 13 says, The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. So God's presence was clearly seen by everyone there in the camp. They could see that, okay, we know that God is here. Now, the Israelites worshiped God, but, you know, really didn't know much about him. In fact, when Moses met with God at the burning bush, he didn't even know what God's name was. He's, he, God was sending him to Egypt to lead his people out. And, and Moses said to God, well, yeah, I know we've been worshiping you, but what's your name? So I can, I can go back and tell the people that I met with you. And, and God said, my name is I am. I am that I am. And you should go to the people of Israel and, t- and tell them that I am has, has met with you. And so the Israelites worshiped God, but didn't really know much about him. So as they're, they're coming into the desert and they're, they're heading to the promised land, God gave Moses instructions for a central meeting place to come and worship him. And, and this would be a place, this place would, would be uh, where God's presence and glory would, would remain there in the camp. And where you could physically see and know that God is here. But the Israelites were on the move. And, and they were traveling from place to place to place. So this this structure couldn't be permanent. It had to be something that you could set up and tear down. Any of you have a tent, a, a tent that you take camping? Any of you like camping? I'm sort of getting to like camping. Some of you really like it. You were waving your hands back there, and, and some of you would rather, much rather be in a hotel room with carpet. And, and I say, yeah, there we go. Some of you. So uh, imagine a, a 40-year camping trip. That's what the Israelites were on. It was a 40-year camping trip. You know, they lived in tents, and, and they, uh, they were uh, uh, not in buildings. They were not living in houses. They were moving from place to place. And so this place of worship that God gave instructions for 
uh, them to build had to be portable. It had to be something that, that they could set up and tear down. And we, we, today we call it, and we see from the Bible, it's called this tent of meeting or tabernacle was, was the thing that God gave instructions for them to build so they could take along with them as they traveled through the desert. Easily torn down, easily set up again. And God gave the designs. You know, God... Uh, is able to give designs for, for buildings, and, and he uh, understands how things work and how things uh, are, are put together. God has, uh, uh, among his many aspects, he has an engineering mind, an architectural mind. Isn't that amazing? So God gave designs for a tent of meeting or tabernacle that would serve all the purposes that they, that they needed. And so I want to uh, this is the uh, picture that some artists uh, thought that this tabernacle or tent of meeting looked like. So it was surrounded by this, by this uh, barrier around the outside, and, and there was a courtyard inside, and then inside that courtyard was this, this special tabernacle or this special tent of meeting. And so God gave the specifications. God told them exactly how to, how to build this thing as they're going through the desert. And so they get it finished, they get it built, and, and then Moses, uh, they, they're invited, all the people, to come to this dedication ceremony. And, and they, they have this ceremony where they, they dedicate this tabernacle, this tent of meeting, to God's glory and to God's worship. And the Bible says, Exodus chapter 40, that the cloud, that was that pillar of cloud, that uh, came and covered that tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So, you know, if I'd been one of the people standing around on the outside and I saw that pillar of cloud coming toward me, I'd be saying, you know, I'm getting out of the way because that's God's presence coming toward me. And I'm, I'm going to make sure I'm out of the way so the pillar of cloud doesn't hit me. Uh, and uh, the Bible says Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So God's presence was there clearly, visibly, powerfully, so that um, they could see it. And, and in this dedication ceremony, it was so powerful that Moses couldn't even enter it. Like that, that presence of God, that, that power was there. The glory of God was so powerful that Moses couldn't even enter that tent. So that's the, the first story. The, the power and the glory of God filling this, this tabernacle, this tent of meeting. Now, we jump forward from that story 500 years, around 500 years, to the times of, of King David. And King David was probably one of the, uh, he was you know, the greatest king of the Israelites. And, and God stirred in the hearts of King David and his son Solomon in the capital city of Jerusalem. God stirred in their hearts to build a temple, a, a structure, a building to the Lord in Jerusalem, a place where the Israelites could come and offer their sacrifices, a place where they could come and worship God. Now, this temple was not just a little tent. 
The tabernacle was one thing. It was a portable thing that, that they set up and tore, tore down. But this, this temple, now here's a, another picture of, of an idea of an artist, an artist's idea of uh, what, this, what this temple looked like. It was gigantic. It was huge. It was ornate. The Bible says 150,000 workers were working all together at the same time to work on the temple. You think you have a big construction project going. 150,000 workers were working on the temple. The Bible says that, that to build this temple in Jerusalem, King Solomon had stone blocks that were quarried out of the ground. They brought, got, got uh, stone quarried out of the ground, and they, they cut these stone blocks so skillfully at the quarry that no further cutting needed to be done at the construction site. It, it was all perfectly measured out and perfectly aligned so that when they got to Jerusalem into the city, they carried these blocks in somehow. They could fit perfectly together and didn't need to be adjusted or cut anymore. First Kings chapter 6 and verse 7 says, when the house was built, it was the temple, when it was with stone prepared at the quarry so that neither hammer nor axe nor any tool of iron was heard in the house while it was being built. So the stone was quarried out of the ground, cut and arranged perfectly and hauled to Jerusalem to be, to be put into place as they built the temple. Not only that, but, but really expensive wood was procured for the building of this temple. Cedar and cypress logs were cut up in the, in the country of Lebanon and floated down the Mediterranean Sea in rafts until they could get to Jerusalem. And then, uh, not only that, but inside and outside the building, vast amounts of gold were used in all the, in all the furnishings. And, and the Bible says Solomon overlaid the inside of the house with pure gold, and he drew chains of gold across in front of the inner sanctuary, and he overlaid it with gold, and he overlaid the whole house with gold. The floor of the house he overlaid with gold in the inner and outer rooms. So if you walked around in the temple, you were work, walking on floors of gold. It's like, this is amazing. Imagine how expensive it was to, to build this, this temple. And so they come to the end of this construction process, and, and we have, again, just like the previous story, we have this dedication ceremony where King Solomon dedicates this temple to the glory and worship of God. And, and the Bible says in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 that, that Solomon prays this amazing prayer. And, and the Bible says when he finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven, boom, consumes the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and what happens? The glory of the Lord fills the temple, just like the previous story. And the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. And all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord uh, on the temple. They bowed down. I think they probably fell down on their faces because what do you do when, when God's glory shows up right in your face? You fall down on your, on, on your face in front of God. They bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and they worshiped and they give thanks to the Lord saying, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Now, what does the Bible mean by this, by this glory of God that filled the tabernacle, that filled the temple? And, and it's, 
It's sort of hard to explain about this glory. I believe that some writers have said this glory is like God's majestic beauty and splendor and power and holiness. How do you explain it? In the New Testament, when Jesus took his three of his disciples up on top of a mountain, and the Bible tells the story that he was changed, he was transfigured in front of them. And the Bible says that his face shone like lightning, his clothes glowed more brightly than any, any clothes they'd seen before. Jesus' face shone like the sun. It was the electric brilliance of God's holiness and power. That's that glory. Uh, the Bible talks about Moses going up on the mountain to meet with God, and he came back down out of the mountain, and the people couldn't look at him because his face was glowing from the glory of God, having been in, in God's presence. This, this story of Solomon says again that the priest physically could not enter the temple because God's glory filled it. It was blinding. It was overpowering. It was spectacular. And so in the Old Testament, we see that God's presence and glory comes to fill physical buildings, like the tabernacle, like the temple. But in the New Testament, something else happens because we see that, that as I said last Sunday, physical things in the Old Testament point forward to spiritual things in the New Testament, okay? So what does this point forward to in the New Testament, to, our, to 2019 and Elm, Mannheim, and Lidditz, Pennsylvania? What does this point forward to today? Regarding God's presence, the Bible's pointing forward to something new and better is, is coming. Something much better is, is coming. And God hints of it through the prophet Ezekiel in, in the Old Testament. And God says, I'm going to give you a new heart, and I'm going to give you a new spirit, and I'm going to take from you the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to work, walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. What does the Bible say? I will put my spirit in you, inside of you. So God declares that a time is coming when he'd no longer live in, in physical buildings like a tabernacle or a temple, but instead he would live in the heart and life of each believer. Each one of us would be a, a temple of God. And, and we see that happening finally in the New Testament in Acts chapter 2, which uh, we focused on last Sunday when all the believers were together and suddenly there was the, the sound from heaven like a rushing mighty wind and it filled the house and tongues of fire came down on them and rested on them. It must have been a spectacular, scary, amazing sight. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Because everything changes that day for God's people. And so, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and 3, the Apostle Paul says, Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3, Don't you know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? And 2 Corinthians 6 says, we are the temple of the living God. So individually, each one of us, each believer, everyone who believes in Jesus is a temple, is a structure, is a building for God's Spirit to come and live inside. Ephesians 2 says, then you are no longer strangers or aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation 
of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So not only are individuals, each one of us, a temple of the Holy Spirit, but all together corporately and, and collectively, we're all together also a, a place where the Holy Spirit comes to live. Now, Old Testament thinking says that we have holy buildings, like a tabernacle or a temple. And Old Testament thinking says it's important to build rich, elaborate, ornate places of worship. And Old Testament thinking would say, we, we call this place, this room we, where we meet, a sanctuary or a holy place. But New Testament thinking says there's something different. New Testament thinking says each believer is a holy building or a holy structure. And, and places of worship for Christians in the New Testament could be houses or buildings or, or coffee shops or parks or, or riversides or mountains or, or beaches. You want to have a church on a beach? Go for it. That's a holy place uh, for, for God to, to live and dwell because the believers are there. So this should cause, you know, 21st century Christians to, to ask a lot of questions about uh, the way we worship and the priorities that we have for, for resources. You know, do, should we ask, are too many modern Christians putting far too much priority to physical buildings because of Old Testament temple thinking? So, so instead of, of calling this a holy place or a holy sanctuary here this morning, we can just simply say this is our auditorium because we believe that the Spirit of God comes to live in each one of us, and we are the temples of God and not a, not a physical building. And so let's, let's dive further into Holy Spirit and, and uh, just exactly who this person of God is. So who is Holy Spirit? So Holy Spirit I'm behind on my PowerPoint. There we go. <laughs> Holy Spirit is God. So we believe, as I said last Sunday, in Trinity. We believe that, that there is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is the gift that Father promised and the gift that he, he gives to each believer. So when you believe in Jesus, you receive Holy Spirit. Now, number two, why does God give us Holy Spirit? Well, he's our, the Bible says he's our comforter. He's our counselor. The Bible says he gives power. The Bible says he gives spiritual gifts. So when Jesus commands his followers to go and, and preach the gospel, to raise the dead, to heal the sick, to do all those things, most of us look at, at those commands and says, how on earth am I supposed to do that? The only way you can do it is through the power of Holy Spirit working inside of you because physically, by yourself, you can't do that. But when Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you, God comes to live inside of you, then the power of God can flow out through you to accomplish the things that Jesus tells us to do. Number three, how is a Christian filled or baptized with the Holy Spirit? Well, we see in, in the Bible at least three different ways. In Acts chapter 2, it was just a sovereign act of God. God decided to, 
to fill them. And, and God poured out his spirit. And, and we see in, in Acts chapter 4 is they're having a prayer meeting. And then all of a sudden, God just pours out his spirit sovereignly, supernaturally. Uh, also in the book of Acts, when they're in the house of Cornelius, the Roman army officer, and, and uh, Peter is preaching the news about Jesus to them. And all of a sudden, boom, God just pours out his Holy Spirit sovereignly and supernaturally. So uh, people are filled or baptized with the Holy Spirit first, just a sovereign, sovereign move of God. Next, at the laying on of hands. So uh, when Saul, who later became Paul, met with Jesus on the road to Damascus, and Ananias was called by God to go and, and pray for Saul, he laid his hands on him, and the Bible says he was filled with the Holy Spirit at the laying on of hands of Ananias. Thirdly, we are filled with the Holy Spirit as we ask. And, and Luke 11 is, is one of the greatest scriptures for all of us because Luke 11 says that, that uh, we have a good father who loves to give us good things. He, uh, when we ask for good things, he, uh, our good father won't give us snakes and, and stones, but in, instead our good father will give Holy Spirit when we ask. So we are promised by God that he will give Holy Spirit when we ask. And I find lots of times in my own life, I have to ask often. I have to ask every day for God to fill me with his Holy Spirit because I need his presence. I need his power. I need his wisdom. I need his guidance. So we can, we can ask our good father and he promises to give us good things when we, when we ask. Number four. Can a believer be filled more than once? I think I probably just already answered that. Because we see uh, throughout Scripture the same people being filled over and over and over. The answer is yes. A believer can be filled more than once. In the the Gospels, Jesus breathed on his disciples and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And then uh, we see in Acts chapter 2, probably... Uh, a lot of the same people were there in Acts chapter 2, where the Holy Spirit fills them supernaturally. And then, and then again, the same people in Acts chapter 4, where the Holy Spirit fills them again as they, as they pray. So we see the pattern in the New Testament that you can be filled over and over many times by, by Holy Spirit. We need to be filled continually again and again so that we can overflow, so that we can minister to, to those people around us. And so I, I want to encourage you today to see yourself, for us to see ourselves, and that we live each day like God's temple, as God's presence is living in us, and, and that we would see ourselves and, and tell, tell ourselves that I am the temple of God. I am the, I am the place where God lives. I am the home of a holy God. I am the holy temple of God. God's presence fills me. God's glory fills me just like the tabernacle and just like the temple. God's power and glory and, and supernatural anointing fills me. And so for us here this morning, what does that mean? How does that change the way I live? And how does that change the way I, I look at life? When I make choices, when I make decisions, we can have God in the midst of those choices and decisions because God is in us and Holy Spirit is our counselor. Holy Spirit gives us wisdom. In the book of James, another amazing promise 
of the Bible is, is that God promises to give wisdom when we ask, and that's through Holy Spirit working in us. So when I, as a, as a temple of God, as a, as a tabernacle of God with God's presence living in me, so tomorrow when I go to school or I go to university, God goes to school. Or when I shop, because God's inside of me, then God's going to go shop too. And, and when I go out to dinner, God goes out to dinner too, because God's presence is inside of me. And perhaps, perhaps knowing and experiencing the power and the presence of God inside of us changes how we speak, how we talk to each other. Perhaps it, it changes where we go. Perhaps it changes what we view. Perhaps it changes how we treat people. And, and perhaps the, the question we can ask is, how is God leading me to act or think or, or speak in this situation? Not necessarily what would God do or what would Jesus do. Remember that uh, WWJD thing years ago, what would Jesus do? Well, let's take it a step further. What, what is Jesus doing now? And what is, Je- what is God leading me to do right now? And what is God leading me to do in the future? Not just what w- would Jesus do, but what is Jesus doing? What is God doing? And what is God doing in me, in my, in my world today? What is God saying in me and, and in my world today? And how can I obey him and flow along with his, with his spirit in me today? So we are the temples, just like that tabernacle, just like that, that temple of gold in Jerusalem. We are the temples. We are the holy dwelling places of God. And so let's live with that aspect of life that God is living inside of us. And, and because of that, I can go into life filled with his spirit. And, and each day, I can ask God to fill me, to use me, to be his powerful weapon to be his powerful vessel in all the places I go and all the things I need to do. Would you stand to your feet with me this morning? I'd like to invite our prayer ministers to come. Heavenly Father, thank you that you're at work in us. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, that You've given us the stories of the Old Testament to point forward to the, the new things that are coming in the New Testament and, and in our day today. Thank you, Lord, that, that you gave the stories of the tabernacle and temple and your glory and your presence filling them. And then, Lord, you point forward to the New Testament, Lord, where, where your presence and your power fills every believer. And Lord, I pray this morning for each person here, each person hearing this message, Lord, that we would step out to believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, that we would repent of our sins, turn away from everything that we know to be wrong. And Lord, that we would choose to follow you each day in our lives. Lord, thank you for your love for us. Thank you, Lord, that you sent your son Jesus to die on on the cross for us. And Lord, because of that, we can have new life. We can be forgiven. We can be set free. And Lord, I thank you that you promise your Holy Spirit to each believer. Lord, would you move across this room today and fill us with your Holy Spirit? Lord, knowing that that when we ask, you promise to give good gifts, not anything bad, but Lord, you promise to give good gifts 
to your children when we ask. So Lord, we're asking this morning, would you fill us here today? Would you fill each person hearing this message today with your Holy Spirit in a powerful way? And Lord, as we go into our world tomorrow, next week, this year, Lord, Lord, may we be those who overflow your power and your presence into the people around us, into our world, into our businesses, into our schools, into our government, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Lord, we love you today. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Come forward for prayer. We'd love to pray for you this morning. If you'd like to receive just a new outpouring of the Holy Spirit into your life, we'd love to